Do you know what is on my hand? If you can't quite guess, it's edible. And it's really, really good. It's uh, a loaf of bread. It's kind of like French chaffle, sort of like hollow and empty inside. I don't really know the name of it. Um, I tasted yesterday, it was awesome. I wish I had about 50 as I can share it with you, but I'm just going to leave it here. Because God says to give her something to eat. So as we discussed today, I just want you to think about what does God mean by giving someone something to eat? Is it just edible bread or something else, or is it both? What is it that God wants us to help people to eat? Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. As we have mentioned that the book of Mark is about simply as being the gospel. It's just something about the good news. Good news being that it's about saving grace. That we as believers know what it means. But at that time, people did not really know. In fact, at that time, Jesus was still just beginning his ministry. They would not have known what we know today. And also it's about deity of Christ. That the fact that Jesus is Son of God. We know because the Bible says so. At that time, they didn't quite have the New Old Testaments. So they didn't know. So the, the book of the Gospel in the Mark is trying to tell the people about the good news and the deity of Christ. And Christ, Jesus, goes around trying to perform and, and share that he is truly the Son of God without necessarily saying that I am the Son of God. Chapter 1 clearly then states and implies very clearly, because God says so, not necessarily Jesus, that he is my Son. And that Jesus has a power that's equal to himself, God. And all the things that Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry, people are just amazed. Basically, it says they're simply amazed. And chapter 2 goes on uh, to record that Jesus began to heal people. He taught about fasting. He taught them about the Lord, uh, the Sabbath day. In chapter 3, he appoints 12 disciples. Now, chapter 3, appointment of disciples were made. In chapter 4, and Jesus began to give the parables to talk about the meaning, what it's like, what the heaven is like, what the faith is like. Namely, he talks about parable of sword. A lamp on the stand, parable of growing seed, and parable of mustard seed, which we talked about it last week. And he performs one miracle in the last chapter. And that was Jesus calmed the storm. 
as Jesus across going across the uh, sea and uh, the wind and wave came and they were just uh, concerned they were uh, they were terrified and uh, Jesus just commands and uh, and uh, calms the storm down. And the Mark 4:41 says, "Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him." You know who said that? We talked about it the other week. This was the statement made by the disciples. We can only conclude that even the disciples who were following Christ, they weren't quite yet convinced that he was Son of God. Otherwise, what, why would they ask this question? This question was not by other people. This is by his very disciple that he appointed in chapter 3. Who is this? that we are kind of following him, that even the wind and the waves obey him. The lesson we learned from this was this. If we see something great, we need to recognize it. And once we recognize it, we must follow. The disciples followed, but when they saw what Jesus was doing, they began to follow, now yet in different light. They're going closer and closer to understanding and being convinced that this man at the time was man to them, that they're following, must be somebody Great. So they followed. They began to make the commitment, not just simply hanging around him, just following him. And they saw that greatness in Jesus. And I mentioned last time that your greatness is dependent on how you acknowledge the greatness in others. This includes us seeing the greatness in Jesus. This includes us seeing greatness on each other. This, this also is seeing greatness in your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. What lesson was there? Most people at the time even though he did all he did, did not recognize him. They did not follow him. They went as far as denouncing this great leader. Most people ignored him, ignored his power over the wind and the waves. What lesson? Jesus showed us what kind of a followers we should be by telling us this parable about a farmer who went out to sow his seed. There are four ways to follow. But only one is what Jesus taught us to do. You could, your seed could, as you were trying to do something, may just fall on the pathway, and the birds came and ate it up. 
or fall on the rocky place with a little bit of a soil. Yeah, it may germinate. But when the sun scorches, the plant dies because it does not have enough soil. Falls on it among thorns. The seeds grow up, but thorns choked up. The plant. So it did not bear any fruit. But if it falls on good soil, solid foundation, the seed came up, grew and produced crop, multiplying. Jesus specifically said 30, 60, even 100 times. At the end, that's what we desire. We desire the blessings from God that our lives will multiply with many, many blessings. Now, in chapter 5, Jesus performs more miracles. Why? Because Jesus is in, in the march to show that he is different. That he is the Son of God. Amen. That he has the power equal to God. That all the authority on earth was given to him. Now, people needed to see at that time. We don't need to see it because it's recorded in the Bible as a, as a fact. What are some of those miracles? The healing of a demon-possessed man, a dead girl, and a sick woman. You know, what's so unique about this very first miracle he performed in chapter 5 is that it had to do with the demonic spirit. And in fact, in chapter 1, one of the first miracles Jesus performed was to heal someone or many with the evil spirit. I was wondering about that. You know, we often church talk about Jesus healing sick person. Someone from raising someone from the dead. But his miracle, many of them had to do healing demonic-possessed people. What does that mean to us? Jesus recognized that there is demonic spirit. Demonic spirit is around us. Even now. It could be right in here too. In the presence of God. We can't ignore it. Some Christians have a tendency to ignore demonic spirits, saying it doesn't exist. Yes, it does exist. It's all over the Bible. If we accept the presence and work and the power of the Holy Spirit, we too need to recognize the presence of demonic spirit within us. And that demonic spirit can simply impact us. So what lesson is there for us? Demonic spirit exists, and it's real. And that's why we need Jesus. And this spirit, the evil spirit, can possess us and consume us. Just think about, like, relationship you may have had in the past with some people. Oh, yeah, I didn't really mean like that to that person. Something must overcome me. Yeah, that something might be just that. But the comfort is that 
Jesus has the authority of this spirit, this evil spirit, is what this healing of a demonic possessed man is all about. That Jesus has the power of a demonic spirit. This is how demonic forces know how to approach innocent people like you and I. It approaches you with a really great respect. They know how to respect you. And once they feel they're accepted by you, they begin to talk, complain into your hearts. And then once they begin to do that, they consume us. So look, if you look at verse 6, demonic spirit shows an act of reverence to the Lord Jesus. You know what demonic spirit did? Demonic spirit that was in this particular man, this man, commanded by this demonic spirit, came before Jesus, fell on his knees in front of him. Demonic spirit knows how to approach you with a reverence. You are the great friend. You are the great. I adore you and I like you. That's how they approach you. They will do that to you and I. And you go to verse 7 of chapter 5. The demonic spirit speaking through the man acknowledged who Jesus was. They didn't just fell on knees in reverence. He says, what do you want me to do? Jesus, son of most high God. Nobody ever recognized Jesus as son of God at that time. It was demonic spirit is the one who recognized that man walking, doing this ministry. That man is a son of God. Demonic spirit knew. They know us. They know Christ. They know how to manipulate us. That's what the lesson here is. But the good news is that Jesus orders in verse 8 to come out from that man. And this demonic spirit did not want to come out. But finally, he begs Christ, Jesus. Well, if I have to come out, because he knows that Jesus has authority over him. If I have to come out, let me just go into somebody else. And uh, Jesus said, well, there's a pig running down here. You can go in there. And demonic spirit says, okay, I'll go into the pig. So that spirit went into the pig. In verse 13, about 2,000 pigs were at that time racing down the mountainside, and they all drowned in the sea. Jesus has the power of demonic spirit. That's a, a comfort to us. Don't yield to the trick of demonic spirit. Lesson here is that Jesus is the Son of God, having power over demonic spirit. Remember what I said about what the book of Mark is? It, to show us, 
the saving grace, the good news, and the deity of Christ that he is the Son of God. One of the first, it, or something I want to call demonic force, it, acknowledged as Jesus being the Son of God was the devil. And also God is showing us a soul of a man is worth far more than all the pigs in the world. God cares for us, every single one of us. Now, here's the story. This man got healed. What would he do? He simply wanted to follow Jesus, wouldn't you? If somebody saved your life, wouldn't you want to just go and follow that person? I almost would. I mean, what I'm really saying is that the person who saved me, the person who gave his or her own heart so that I can live the heart transplant, I know he's no longer here, but if the parents or their close relatives and come and I hear and standing right here and they're in desperate need, I'll give it whatever it takes for that person's need to satisfy the need. I will give her or him something to eat. Whatever the need is. So this man simply wants to just follow Jesus. But you know what Jesus said? No, you're not. Jesus told him to go home. But Jesus had a special mission for him. And this mission is for all of us. So Mark 5, verse 19 to 20, Jesus did not let him follow him. But said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So verse 20, this man followed the command. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is our mission. This is what we're supposed to do. Go tell the world how much God has done for you. As for me, I share this. Every chance I get in business. Just last week, Went down to Washington, D.C., meeting a potentially new client. We're just talking about life. And something how he came about, Tim, tell me about you. This is what we do during over the lunch. Clients don't know each other. Tell me about you. Tell me about you. One of my associates came with me and says, how much time do you have? Well, we got, we're eating lunch. We've got at least an hour. Okay. Do you want a five-minute story? You want a half-an-hour story? Well, half-an-hour story. She went to explain all about my heart transplants experience and how this design firm got born. I didn't ask the final question, will you become a 
follower of Christ, but he was impacted. This is something that I do everywhere I go, looking for that opportunity because God says so. Go home, go your place, and tell how much the Lord has done for you. Now, you can follow two different ways. You can follow physically as disciples did. Or follow his command of telling others about your experience in your home, your town, your business, and etc. And our standing order from Jesus is this. Those who experience the power of the Lord, our role simply is to go home and tell them about the saving grace of God. That's what the book of Mark is about, saving grace. That is our mission. That's the mission of our church. Not just to go to church, but to do something about it. To give somebody something to eat. Now, Jesus continues to perform miracles. This time, Jesus raises a girl from dead and heals a sick man or sick woman. Remember the story? So one of the synagogue ruler came and fell on his knees and said in Mark 5.23, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, we don't know whether this ruler had a total faith in Christ or not. But from the statement, somehow he was convinced, whether it's through the Holy Spirit, whether it's what he has seen so far, if you put your hands on my daughter, my daughter surely will be healed and live. I suppose that is a faith in Christ. And many times you have faith in Christ. Now you have faith in Christ. And you know what happens to us? When we have in faith and you're ready to do something, you're ready to give something to eat, you know what happens? This devil that Jesus was talking about begins to approach you. Do you know how they approach? When you're about to do something great and about to follow something great, that's, this is what devil do. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the synagogue the, and said to the ruler, daughter's father, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teaching anymore? Let him go. His, your daughter is already dead. Leave it. Go away. That's enough. We fall in this trap so often. But if you continue to listen to what the Bible has to say, you see there is reward if you stick with it. You know, if the father had not listened or 
If Father listened to these naysayers, he may not have experienced the presence and the work of the part of, of Jesus. They will do this all the time to us. We get shortchanged. And that's the, one of the lessons in chapter 5. We get shortchanged if you listen to the sweet talks that's around us. Here, Jesus knew that this ruler, guys from synagogue, at that time synagogue basically represented the people who kind of denounced Jesus. But Jesus knew that this ruler at that moment had a faith. So Jesus raised the daughter from the dead. And there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She heard about him and believed that if she would only touch Jesus' clothes, that she would be healed. And surely enough, she got healed. So when all these things happened, people and the disciples were completely astonished. Now here comes the important part. With all that, with all that illustration, with all that miracle, all those teaching, what did Jesus do? And this will be our concluding lesson of chapter 5. Verse 43 summarizes it all. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So let's unpack what he means by Jesus when he said, don't tell this to anybody and simply give something to eat to that little girl. First of all, in the first phrase of that sentence, he did not make name for himself. Most of us, when we do something great, we want to make sure people know about it. We want to make sure we get the credit. And if we don't get the credit, we get all bent out of shape. This is contrary to what God desires to see in us. What, you, what we need to understand is if we don't make a name for ourselves, who is make, going to make name? Who is going to lift us up? It's a Christ is going to lift us up. Jesus did not make a name for himself, and the Bible is very clear God exalted him. Where do all our struggles come from? I know everybody here, including myself, we all struggle. Some struggle with the depression, the jealousy, disappointments, hurts, and betrayals. Where do they all come from? They all come 99% of the time. In fact, I was talking to somebody, said, no, this 100% of the time, it comes from when we try to make a name for ourselves and others don't recognize it. That's when all our troubles come from. So what, you may say, if you go back to Genesis, the story of the Tower of Babel. 
that message and today's message is of the same. The people who try to build the Tower of Babel, they did that with one ambition, to make name for themselves. And did God like it? No. God demolished it. God demolished it. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that can reach us to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That teaching is the same teaching. It is what is in Mark 5, 43. He gave a strict orders not to let anybody know about this, about the fact that he went out and started healing people. He wanted God to do it. He wanted others, God to do it, not himself. Second thing is the second phrase of that verse. It says, give her something to eat. That is to go and be able to recognize the need of others and feed them. Each person's need varies from age to generations. As a little bit of a history background, during the Depression, the need was all about the food. The people during the Depression time, which wasn't too long ago, they weren't looking for praises. They just needed food. Job was for food. Your grandparents, maybe like my father, I'm a little older than some of the younger people here, my father's age is that during the Depression time, they worked for food. They did not work for leisure or travel or movies or even my favorite Dunkin' Donut coffees. They work for food. Well, during the baby boomers, like now, like sort of like my generation, it wasn't about the food. What was, what was their need? It was promotion and titles. It was about the window seat in the office. People in the office were judged by the location of their office or seat. The closer you are to the window, the success that you have achieved in that organization. It's really simple. This is back in the 70s and 80s, perhaps into the 90s. They don't need food. In fact, during that period of time, we have this new word called diet came out. When I was little, there was no such thing as diet food, diet Coke, or diet Pepsi. None of that was in existence. When the people wanted a promotion, the titles to identify themselves, that was their need, that was their desire. 
it was no longer food. They don't even need praises. They just want to be closer to window seat or window office. That's why they worked so hard. That was their need. Today, I'm not talking to millennials, but today, what do people want for their recognition? Food? No. Titles? Yes, some, but it's not the main thing. What do they look for? Professor Ashley Williams from the Harvard Business School says, what really matters in the workplace today is helping employees feel appreciated. It is no longer about physical or whatever, it's about feeling. It's all about feel, how do I feel, how you make me feel. It's what their needs are. People simply wanted to be now appreciated. It's the language that our grandparents or our parents don't understand. It's a foreign to them. They would simply say, I feed you, I give you shelter to sleep. What more do you want? Some of the older people may have seen this movie or show, a Broadway show, the movie called Fiddler on the Roof. Well, I'm sure older people may have seen it, but you may not. It's put, you know, it's like a movie, all the Broadway show from about 80s, 70s, 80s. It's about the love. All their children, the three girls are all being married away. And why are you marrying that guy? He says, because I love him. So wife goes to her husband and says, well, husband, Hey, hubby, do you love me? And the hubby says, love you? What kind of question is that? I feed you, I care for you. What then is love? That's how they communicate it. People today want the pat on the back. Experts are saying there are two ways. Do it right away. Seize the moment to praise them, make them feel appreciated. In other words, don't wait until the end of the year doing the evaluation. Do it moment by moment. Frankly, I've been a little bit stringent or bashful of doing that, because I'm that the other generation. And I'm going to try to do better, especially the volunteers in the church. I never thought that you need to be appreciated, because God says to do it anyways. But I understand, especially volunteers at church continue to make them feel appreciated. You notice my love language, I, I, used, I often take people out for lunch, because I'm still in the food era. <laughs> Let's go eat. 
And the young people today, they don't do that. They want to save the money for leisure and travels, but let's just go to coffee. You notice that people are laughing. I know that they, they see that in me, I suppose. <laughs> the other is simply doing something about it, physically doing something about it, so that they may feel good at their work or their church. Now, what did Jesus do? Jesus did both. He seized the moment, recognized her need, and encouraged others to do something physically about it. Go and feed her. Now, third thing that is tied to uh, give her something to eat has to do with the importance of follow-up. One way for us to manifest our love for the Savior is by feeding his ship. Not one time, not two times, continuously feeding. Continuously in the church providing the word of God. Isn't this amazing? Because... What was the very last thing Jesus said as he was ascending to heaven? Or just before he was ascended to heaven? He said, feed my ship. Three times to emphasize, feed my ship. So look at the scripture, today's scripture once again. Mark chapter 5, verse 43. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus did not want to make a name for himself, for all the great things that he did. That's a lesson for us. We want to be blessed, follow his ways. And second thing is, Give her something to eat. Go and see and go and recognize the need of others and then do something about it physically. Give them something to eat. Feed my sheep. Jesus knew the need of father, the need of sick woman. In other words, he knew their weaknesses. We often pound on people's weaknesses. I confess I do that too. But instead, Jesus go look for weaknesses in a person, weaknesses in you, and he addressed those weaknesses. And that weakness of that little girl, where she may have been hungry, give her something to eat. Follow up. Just like when you go see a doctor, you do follow-ups. All the people, any organizations, 
any world purposes. They have their strength and their weaknesses. What is the lesson for us? Don't pound on those weaknesses. Give her something to eat. So let us give the needs and the weaknesses of others something to eat, as Jesus has commanded us to do. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you. We look at upon this loaf of bread that symbolizes so many things. Your body, the communion that we have.